I'm Ted Baker in the studios of WEOS and WHWS at the Scanling Center here at Hobart and William Smith. And this is the Hobart Football Podcast, Episode 33, Bowl Game Edition, the Clayton Chapman Bowl at Boswell Field, Hobart and Utica, a pair of 8-2 and two teams on Saturday. We welcome in the head coach of the Statesman, as always, Kevin DeWall. Good to talk uh, postseason football. Glad to be here. Good morning. So first off, congratulations on that. I mean, you, you, you want to win a league title, but a lot of programs won't finish this year 9-2, and two, and you have the chance to do that. Yeah, we talked about in the history of our of our sport with our uh, here at Hobart. We uh, now 129 seasons, and only 11 times have we gotten to nine wins. You know, and obviously there were some really good teams there, and uh, that made it to the Elite Eight, and those ones got 11 or 12 wins, and, and that's where we're aspiring to get back to. But in the big picture, you know, there's been a lot of football that's been played, and there's a lot of places across the country that would be celebrating eight and two, and. Uh, I told our guys, anytime you get a chance to compete and, and you come off the field victorious, you know you appreciate it every time, regardless of the score. Some are cleaner and, and prettier than others. Some are more exciting than others. But a win's a win, and uh, you know. I, and I think of the opportunity to get to eight and two uh, with our conference. Uh, the other two teams in our conference uh, were selected in the NCAA playoffs. Uh, so uh, our two losses were against NCAA playoff teams. So it wasn't like they were slouches. Um, games that we felt we were competitive in and, and obviously want to win. But, um, you know, at the same time, I think we've learned a lot. We've progressed from where we were week one way back when we played Alfred. So it's been a uh, long season and a quick season all in one. And, and now we have a chance, as I said, now it's our final exam. You know, when you get in the NCAA playoffs, only 32 teams get in, 28 have to win your conference. So it's really tough to get in over, you know, 240-some Division three teams and only 32 get in. So... When you get in the NCAA playoffs in some of those years in the past, it's different because it's free football, everyone's 0-0, zero zero, but like only one of those 32 teams you know, gets the end on a win. And uh, obviously that's a vulnerability that we want to be back in. We want to be in the NCAA playoffs. But at the same time, there's a, there's a finite final right now. We know that Saturday is going to be our last game. Obviously we're, uh, we're shooting and preparing to, to get our next 1-0, and to get to 9-2. and and hopefully uh, finish the season on a, on a positive note, and, and, and hopefully that'll lead into the winter workouts, recruiting. You know, as we then prepare for next season. But uh, we haven't got that far yet. But I just, you know, it's been a very um, clear focus for our guys this week, which has been refreshing. And uh, I think we're excited for the great opportunity we have on Saturday. Before we talk about the Centennial Cup game with Rochester and look ahead to Utica, let's talk uh, all Liberty League selections. Uh, we'll start with the two guys on the left side of your offensive line, Ethan Kowalski, first team, and Ashton Mejia's honorable mention. Yeah, they uh, what was a very young position group early on. You know, Ethan was the only returning starter coming back in week one against Alfred. And I think that group as a whole, uh, those two were selected uh, all-conference. And I think all of them, including those two, have, have improved since day one. And I think that's a group that uh, we know moving forward. We've got to continue to do well at the point of attack in the line of scrimmage. They'll, they'll be tested again this week. But those two guys, um, you know, graded out as our top two offensive linemen this year. Rishon Boswell was named first-team athlete for overall play, second-team return specialist, and Tim Denham earned honorable mention as running back. And, of course, a lot of these league awards go to the teams right at the top of the standings, and also the way that you use your guys. Nobody's going to pile up those big, huge numbers, so it's a credit that the voters kind of saw through that and realized the ability and the skill that those guys bring to the table. Yeah, I think we hurt Tim especially. He missed a couple games there with injury in the middle, so... He didn't quite have the stats that uh, that maybe some of the other running backs had, and I think some voters and and uh, you know look at just stats alone. 
like I said, we we were fortunate that we had multiple guys that could start at tailback, and and then obviously Rayshon is an athlete used in many different ways. Um, I said it a couple of weeks ago, and I'll say it again: those two guys are t- just truly dynamic, great competitors, and uh, you know I think both were deserving of first team. And and unfortunately, you know I only I don't get to vote for our guys; we get a chance to advocate for our guys. But this is all voted on by other coaches, and I think some of them probably looked at. That's a position group that was strong across the conference, and most teams, you know, had one or two guys with more stats. And I think Tim, had he not had, you know, lost a couple of those games with injuries, would have had better stats and, and was deserving of the first team. On the defensive line, Connor Gunn was named to the first team, and he's really played his best football in about the last two or three weeks. What have you seen from him that helped him turn the corner from being a good D lineman to a great one? Well, I think with Connor, you really pull back layers on the type of person he is. He works, he goes after it. And uh, I'm really proud of him and how far he's come. You know, as a young freshman who you know wasn't big enough, wasn't strong enough, was kind of learning you know how to play college football to where he is now, and just his work ethic, his grind, his commitment, his teammates know that it's unwavering. And to him, he's been uh, just playing with much more confidence, uh, playing at a faster pace, and I think that comes from. Um, the confidence in his preparation. Alex Harper, which was named to the second team, and again, the way you use that group, uh, you know, if you play just the three guys, the top three guys, they'd all have really huge tackle stats. So again, credit to the voters for kind of seeing the scheme and understanding what those guys can do. Yeah, and, and Carpet, same thing. Has um, you know been a little bit limited with injuries the last couple of weeks, but has been very, you know productive player and. You know, maybe didn't have the stats that he had last year when he was a first-team all-conference player. But again, the guys up front—it's a collective group. They understand, like—and I said this to the team: there's not any one individual. These are still team awards based on how well our defense plays. You know, I think those two guys on the bookends have played pretty well and uh, were deserving of the all-conference consideration. Three linebackers made the team. Jamin Bliss, first team. Anthony Romano was named second team. And Mike McGee, honorable mention. Uh, it's a great, I mean, you've had great linebacker groups as long as I can remember. Yeah, and I think Anthony Romano, you know, coming off of last year, first team in all region, uh, you know, he and Jamin have you know, led our team in tackles, have been right there as a stalwart. He's made up for a lot of, uh, you know, just some graduation at the nose position and some injuries there, like, He's been a focal part of most other uh, most other offenses trying to target um, and make sure they're they're accounting for him. So I, again, I think he was deserving of a first team, but I also understand across the board that's where every team has had one linebacker with a ton of tackles. You know, we're fortunate we have you know a handful of, of linebackers that are really good, and, and obviously Mike McGee is a sophomore coming in as a starter and the strong side, and then Jamin on the weak side. Uh, I think all three of those guys are as good as any of the linebackers in our conference. In the secondary, this is a real tribute to the next man up mentality. Abdullah Diallo, first team. Here's a guy that hasn't started for a lot of his career. And then Makai Rogers, honorable mention, same thing. He was not in the starting lineup at the beginning of the year but both got their chances and took advantage. Yeah, I think uh, Makai's versatility has been impressive. He's been able to play both field corner and safety at times. And, and, and uh, Abdullah's, you know put together a really consistent season on the backside as our boundary corner. And, you know, like I said, when we came into the season, you, know, you had James Mahoney and Jordan Walker as, as seniors. Obviously, you got Chris Tumba with experience in the boundary corner, Bengali Kante. So our corner position was really, really strong. We were going to be younger at the safety position. And I think we've, uh, you know, as we've kind of picked up these last couple of wins, the the defensive backs have had to play pretty well. And actually, Abdullah got our our game ball from this past win against Rochester, partly because not so much on the stats alone, but he made some key plays at the right time and just his consistency out there. So, um, you know, and, and again with Makai being able to in certain packages be able to go from corner to safety, that versatility with his length has been really helpful. And 
again, I, I think guys like Joe McCoy and as a senior and some other guys, it just shows the versatility. We tried to be as multiple on defense as possible. And uh, that all starts with you got to be of great coverage on the back end. And, you know, I'm proud of how that whole group has come together. And really, a guy like James Mahoney, who was a starter, and now Makai's taking a little bit more of the starting role. James has been significant on special teams and hasn't once wavered in terms of his ability to be there ready to go because he knows he's ready to go when the opportunity's called. Toby Refering, honorable mention, place kicker, and here's the one I'm going to complain about. Second team punter, no way. He's, if he's not the best punter in the country, he's definitely the best in the Liberty League. Scratching your head on that one, I know. Uh, <laughs> Sit there and, I mean, just stats alone and uh, anyone that plays us. I mean, I'm not sure um, where that one came from. But, again, that's voted on by other coaches. And uh, so I'm sitting there and, you know, I, I'm not sure why that one ended up being that way. But uh, he'll have an opportunity this this uh, Saturday to show, again, just in all three facets of his kicking that he's a, an all-conference player. And that's the thing I've always uh, – as a coach, you know, you can advocate for your guys. It all comes back to what the other coaches, you know, look at and see. And, you know, whether they go off of just stats, whether they go off of trying to manipulate both, I don't know. I trust that the fact that hopefully the best uh, players for all the teams are, are there and selected. And it's really a fine line between a first team and a second team or sometimes. And sometimes it is skewed based on how your team finishes, which it, I, I understand that as well. So I told that to the team. I said, you know, whether you're 12-0 and 0 and you get – 12 first teamers if you're you know eight and two and you get a couple at the end of the day um we go out it's a team sport and 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 those guys were all deserving anyone that got all conference was deserving of it and there was others that probably could have been that maybe didn't or you know maybe they're young enough that you know they another team senior got it over them but at the end of the day take it for what it's worth it's all about the team and we get a chance to go out on saturday and, and really celebrate hopefully a team uh victory where those all conference guys have to play out and play well hobart kept the centennial cup winning in rochester 27 23 there are a lot of ways to win games and a lot of ways to lose games this was an example of a team that didn't play real well for a lot of the day but dug down kept themselves in it and made the plays at the end to win yeah it was not from a head coach standpoint, it was not where we wanted to be, especially early in the game. But the the the, the credit to the team goes to the resolve that they stayed the course. Um, you know, I think both offenses uh, were struggling at points early in the, in the game, and uh, unfortunately, some special teams plays on both sides hurt and and helped some teams. Um, and I think that's where. Uh, we knew with as many seniors as they had on defense that I thought it was going to take us a little bit to get it going. I, I was still surprised that it you know, took us as long as it did. And that being said, we just didn't get off enough plays. Um, uncharacteristically, we made a couple poor choices at a couple positions on our offense, and that got us off the field. You know, one was a fourth and one, or excuse me, one was a fourth and two. There was a third and one. There was a situation where we had a, would have been a, a second and two. We had a, a penalty. So just a couple things that kind of derailed us. And at the same time, um, I thought a couple key special teams plays went against us, and uh, that kept them either in the game or helped give them a short field that led to some points. Obviously, then there was a couple calls right there before a half. Then we made some adjustments. So, again, uh, sometimes when it doesn't go your way, that actually is a good indicator. I was talking about when, you, when in the face of adversity, what type of team are we truly going to have? And, again, no flinching. Two weeks in a row we've had to come from behind. It wasn't the way we wanted it to go, but at the end of the day, you get to play 60 minutes, and and sometimes it might be that last drive or the last play that's going to get us there, and our guys kept fighting. So uh, a good credit, hard-fought win. wasn't the prettiest of wins, but I told the guys afterwards, a win's a win, and at the end of the day, be proud of the fact that they didn't fold, they didn't flinch, and, and we found a way to win at the end. There was a stretch in the first half. You had four possessions that netted you eight yards, four possessions in a row, and I don't think I've seen this all 
year, but you were really kind of getting pushed around on both sides of the line of scrimmage for a lot of this game. Yeah, and that's where we knew going into it that uh, I, I, I think both health and durability at our, our fronts, O-line and D-line, um, they won the line of scrimmage. So the week before against RPI was a physical game, and I think we kind of felt the effects of that and uh, where we need to generate more depth and be able to show that. Now at this point in the season, the depth isn't going to change significantly, but yeah, they won the line of scrimmage. And I think uh, in the games that we haven't come out on top, that's that's been the indicator as if, you know, it's uh, it's no no magic to anyone that knows football. At the end of the day, if you win the line of scrimmage, you're going to have a chance to position yourself to win games. And uh, there's obviously other plays that go into it, but uh, I'll always say our O-line or D-line are going to be the keys, and, and that's going to be another vital matchup this upcoming weekend is how we match up on offense and defense at the fronts, and not just the O-line, D-line, but the tight end play, the running backs, the linebackers, how everyone fits in. They were winning it. And more importantly, we were doing good enough on offense, but they were bend but don't break. And that's how um, you know, that's how Rochester's defense was trying to play us. Was they were willing to give us the underneath stuff. They were willing to kind of give up positive plays. And and again, when I when I watched the video, when and you mentioned that stretch of two or three series, when I can point out one or two guys in every single play that has an MA, obviously that we're not going to be successful. And a couple of them were, were crucial third and fourth down conversions that we didn't convert. There was a couple of times where Johnny, who's done a really good job at quarterback. Uh, didn't get us into a, a different player. The protection was wrong. And, and, and again, he'll own it. Just as much as he made some really good plays at the tail end of the game, there was a couple crucial times where he made some mistakes and maybe you know, either took a negative play early on, he took a sack um, that was a protection situation. And then there was other times where you know, we just had guys open that we missed protections. And I think it was really the run game where we were close a couple times to get Tim and Ray going and we just missed a block or stepped the wrong way or... Uh, and then again, when you play a team that had, I think, a little, basically all eleven of those guys back as starters, and playing their final game with a bye week, with two weeks of preparation, I think people forget about how important that is. And that was a fresh, healthier Rochester team coming off of two weeks of preparation, and we were not at full strength. And at the same time, we still find a way to win a hard game. So it wasn't pretty, but again, the resolve, the resiliency. Uh, I think there's, there's, that's the positive that we're going to take forward from that one. And a better Rochester team, like we talked about before the game, Chad Martinovich is doing a great job. That There's some talent on that team, and you can see where they're going to have better years to come. Absolutely, and I think this was their year. I mean, they had, uh, I think, 10 returning starters on defense with one that's basically rotated in, and there's like eight or nine on offense. So when you bring, bring, bring back that many starters, and there's a reason. I mean, they finished 5-5. Five and five. It was a good team. But it just shows in our conference that was the you know essentially the fourth place team in our conference. Uh, excuse me, fifth place team. And you think about the the strength of our conference. Um, that's a really solid team, and who again they won some really good games in their non conference play. So uh, I think that's more of a tribute to the Liberty League, and that you know week in and week out, there's going to be strong teams across, and it's only going to get stronger in the upcoming years. Right before half, Jamin Bliss was called for targeting. We had a good view of the play. I, I think it was a good call. How do you deal with that? at the time or, or after the game, you have a good player, makes a poor decision. Yeah, I think it was an effort play, and we came down to it like uh, myself as a, as a clock manager, our, our punter was supposed to kick it away from the returner, which then takes two to three, you know, extra seven, eight seconds, two to three plays away from them. We didn't do that, so that gave them an extra play or two. Um, we had a chance to tackle that on that play. We missed a tackle. So then it comes down to along the sideline, he's trying to come around, and, and he ended up didn't get him high. It was the right call. Um, but it was a hustle play versus a malicious play, and I think that's where we all right, we're on to the next play. Um, 
Cash Young did a great job. Kashan Young did a great job in terms of stepping on in a role um, in that vacancy when, when Jamin was out in the second half. And again, we, we timing of it, they had the one more play uh, where we were able to you know, hopefully defend and they missed the field goal. Uh, and then at halftime, they gave us time to kind of, you know, settle everyone down, position, made some adjustments. And, and again, I thought our defense uh, at least had a clear plan. You know, obviously being down a, a really good player, an all-conference player didn't help us. And, um, you know, I think that, again, shows when things weren't going our way. There was a lot of reasons why we maybe could have lost that one, but more importantly, we found a way to win it. I, I don't remember who it was who said it, but somebody said that defense fuels comebacks, and your defense really dug down. I mean, they had some red zone drives and some first and goals, and you either got them off the field with no points or three points, and that was big, giving that offense a chance to just keep punching away until you got the big play. There was two or three really crucial plays. One was like a first and goal from like three inches out. And, um, you know, they got a negative play. And, again, that's where uh, we talk about the Hobart toughness uh, on defense. And, and Coach Green and the staff done a really good job telling our guys play the next play. And, uh, you know, good teams kick field goals. Great teams kick extra points. And that's one of the things we talk about when we're down there. Yes, you want to be efficient. you got to come away with points more often than not. But great offenses get seven. And, and that's where defense is sometimes a great stop might be settling for a field goal attempt. And, that was a crucial in terms of just you know where the score was, even though we had and again it was close there. But when they got to the point where they had to settle and kick that those couple field goals, that might be the difference of you know us being able to come back and win at the end. They got a couple of field goals from Toby Weffering, and he's moving up the all-time career list. He's still got a way to go to catch Kyle Hackett, who's best kicker that's ever played here. But uh, he's doing a lot of great things this year. Yeah, I said it. I thought in the second half in particular, those two field goals were crucial at times when we needed points. And uh, they weren't chippies. They were out a ways. And, um, and again, you know, he's uh, he stepped up for us. And, um, you know, I talked about the one right, behind, right before the half of the punt. That's just me trying to be a perfectionist and understanding the opportunity to play. But Toby was a really significant part of that game in terms of just some of the placements of the kicks, his punts, and then obviously those field goals and the extra points, knowing that every point matters. You went behind twice in the second half and then got the big play, the long bomb to Rain Daramola. Take us through that play. Is Was he the number one receiver there what kind of reads or progression is Johnny making on that play yeah on that play it was a uh, we thought we and that's where breakdown film breakdown got us the coverage we thought coming out on P and 10 so the possession in 10 first play of the possession um, thought that we got him in the right base um, and we had moved some guys around so the way it looks at it, it wasn't he was 100% going to throw it to rain but he was the first read on that route so it's a progression based read it goes one two three um, backside had a certain read based on what they do so pre-snap alignment Johnny looked and saw. Post-snap was confirmed that he got the right one. Uh, five and hitch thrown. And uh, we had that play earlier in the game where uh, we our receiver was breaking open and we missed it. And um, you know we talked about it on the sideline, just talked about putting a little bit more air on it. And that time he put the right amount of air on it, just enough, not too much, but just enough to get it over you know, where the safety was trying to converge in on it. And um, you know obviously it was a great job executing. And if you look back on it, our offensive line did a great job protection. So we always talk about starts with those guys up front they did a stunt up front we were able to pass it off um, running back inserted and uh, and again when, when we play for the most part 10 11 guys on the same page and doing their assignments that's when our offense is executing and that first half we were off and it wasn't necessarily one thing or two schematically I just don't think our guys either from a health standpoint or like they were adding extra guys in but the run game and then the pass protection we were just off and uh, again a credit 
Um, I, I keep going back to it. Even when things weren't going well, you know, I was able to look them in the eye and say, hey, guys, stay the course. We're going to find a way to do this. And, and that's one of the slogans we have. And, you know, every time we could leave our locker room is find a way or we'll make one. And uh, our guys did it. They stayed the course. And um, that's what you're going to have to do when you play really good teams. Sometimes you're going to have to play from behind. And, um, and I think that will uh, not only maybe it's this Saturday or if it's in future games, tells you a testament of the character of the team if they have that fight and that resiliency to, to go um, regardless of the score and play the next play with all their might, then I think we're going to be in really good shape. The extra point was big there to make it a four-point game, but still they had over two minutes left, and that's when the defense really dug down and just put all kinds of pressure on the quarterback, and they weren't able to get anything going on that final drive. Yeah, we were playing a little bit more um, you know, against the pass, so they hit a couple of runs on it, uh, which is fine you know, in terms of the clock is your friend at that point, and then... Uh, Again, when we needed that fourth down stop, our defense came up big, and then at that point, offense just needed one more first down to uh, to ice it, and we got that first down, and then we were able to take victory formation, which is uh, everyone's favorite formation. So let's talk about the Utica Pioneers. I look at them on paper, and they look an awful lot like you. I mean, the same thing. They have a one-two running back punch that's pretty good, neither one guy with big, huge numbers. Uh, defensive numbers are similar in terms of what they allow in the rush in the pass. So what do we know about Utica? Yeah, I would say that's a pretty uh, pretty fair assessment on, on terms of I do think there's a lot of similarities in it. both teams uh, with with strong conferences getting to eight and two. I, I don't think you, you you don't mistakenly get to eight. Both are really good teams. Uh, their line of scrimmage is very really strong. You know, if you look at our defense, which I think has played really well at times this year. And, uh, you know, we lead our Liberty League in sacks and, and are up there in tackles for loss. Well, Utica has got some exponentially higher numbers. They do a really good job at the point um, with a ton of sacks, tons of tackle for loss. So they're living off of the negative play. And then on offense, they, uh, they, they mix it up. They have a really good uh, running back um, and a couple of different running backs that can run hard. They'll see, you'll see a couple of different quarterbacks for them, you know, one more of a runner, one more of a thrower. Um, but they want to win the line of scrimmage. They want to you know, do a bunch of tight formations that try to take away the angles and just try to mash you with double teams inside. So it's going to be a really big test because, like you said last week, I think both line of scrimmage weren't, weren't clearly won on our part. So um, Utica's O-line thrown in with their tight ends and the physical running backs, what they're going to try to do, they're going to try to run between the tackles and be physical on that and then be able to play action and get to the perimeter a little bit um, we're going to have to hold up well, and really our tackling is going to be key. Which team tackles best is going to be a key for this one on, on Saturday. And then I think the other part is on our side of the ball, um, and if you look at where they're generating their sacks, they have two defensive linemen that are leading the team in sacks. They're a four-man front, and they have a two and a potentially three deep inside. They're big, thick guys. Uh, it's going to be a really good test for our, our offensive line, our tight ends, and really our quarterback play is going to be really smart in terms of protections and timing that we can hold on to it trying to establish a run. I know they, they don't want the ball run on them. The two teams that uh, beat them were able to run the ball on them. Those were much bigger and physical offensive lines. You know, so I think it's going to have to be a heavy uh, uh, balance between the run and the pass, but we're going to have to be opportunistic. And, and I said it's, our football IQ is going to have to play out because they do a lot on defense and making sure that we can mix, mix and match with all the different things they're doing. You mentioned there are two quarterbacks, Brett Fuller, the starter, very accurate, 65%, and then Sam Florio, the number two guy, is he hardly ever throws the ball, he runs it. Does he come in by possession or just on occasional plays? For example, early in David Cruson's career, you would bring him in for a couple of series here and there as more of a runner than a thrower. Yeah, it's going to be more situational when they bring him in. It's uh, you know, score zone, goal line, uh, you know, short yardage situations. 
uh, a bigger, thicker kid that can run the ball. You know, he's he's going to be more an insert and run. But at the same time, I think I mean the throws he's had. He's had a couple touchdowns because of teams really biting in on the run with him. And um, so I think it's going to take really good discipline on our end. And uh, our, our linebackers and DBs are going to have to know when they need to come up and make tackles. At the same time, make sure that we're being patient and not getting beat over the top with some play action. Or, uh, you know, there's definitely going to be some foolery in there where they're going to try to present the run and, and still try to pass it. Like you, they get a lot of pressure on the quarterback from their defensive front. So pass protection is going to be huge. If you can force them to have to bring linebackers, that opens things up. Yeah, they do a really good job with the four-man rush, but they also have a couple edge guys. They'll drop DNs off and bring linebackers. So, like I said, they do a ton um, to the point where, like, from a preparation standpoint, it's how much can you show our guys. Uh, we really got to go back to a lot of our base understanding and standards of how we teach some of our protections and whatnot. Um, running backs, tight ends will be an important part of that as well when they need to be in. Um, but I really think quarterback play is, is going to be important because Johnny's going to need to see a lot of uh, post-snap movement. The, the pre-snap, they'll show you some things. They'll, they'll trick you and sometimes try to disguise it with their eyes. Post-snap movement-wise, uh, I think our quarterback play will have to really be, um, you know, the answer on that. A lot of those sacks are quarterbacks holding it or putting their eyes down and feeling the pressure versus being able to see it. So um, we're going to have to mix it in. You know, sometimes the ball is coming out quickly or we're going to protect it. We're taking, you know, more shots downfield. Uh, I think obviously running the ball, you know, keeping them on a sideline to sideline as best as you can. But they have, I think they're playing their best ball defensively now. I think early in the season they were trying to find their way a little bit, trying to find their personnel. And right now it seems like, uh, you know, two shutouts in the last three games, they're playing really, really well. And, um, you know, those are the games we're able to exchange. So they have our last three games. We have their. Uh, their last three games and, and defensively they're playing really sound football um, so I know on our side of the ball it's gonna we're gonna have to work to score points and uh, I would think both teams coming in are probably looking at it's the strength of the defense you know our defense is gonna have to play one of their most complete games you know especially coming off of a you know a situation where our guys um, you know it's the last game everyone's is sore and beaten up it's uh, there's not any guy that's really healthy at this point if they've played a lot so we got to be able to um, balance that out with um, freshness and aggressiveness. And like I said, it's going to be key opportunistic stops, kind of like for our defense last week. And then I think it's going to be whatever team really tackles better. And I think that's going to be a crucial part of when they try to, with these running backs, get to the edge or they throw the ball and, and the play action and all that, and they get to the perimeter, can we come up and corral it and then line up and play defense again? Like you said, when you get to game 11, you've got all kinds of film. They've got all kinds of film. You've got coaching buddies you'll talk to. They've got coaching buddies. You're going to know each other pretty well. How much new do you put in for an 11th game, or do you pretty much go with what you've been doing? Yeah, I agree. I don't think at this point you put in a lot of new. Um, I think uh, you trust the process in the sense of a lot of what we've taught. Like It's been cumulative. So I talked about like to, you know, to the quarterbacks, for example, this is our final exam. Like you've... Sometimes you have a you know quizzes. You have you know your your first exam, your second exam. Usually, your final exam is cumulative, meaning basically from beginning of the semester to the end of the semester. Well, that's kind of what it is. We've we've seen four man fronts. We've seen teams that do some of the coverages and blitzes they do. So now it's taking what. All right, remember that from week three. You remember that from week seven. All right, and then same thing defensively. We are who we are. I think there's going to be always adjustments to personnel. Uh, I think that's where we're looking is more how do you match up against their personnel. Uh, and they have really good talent. I mean, and you look at it on defense alone, um, it's senior, 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 senior. I mean, these guys have played a while. They were an NCAA playoff team last year. Um, so they know how to, you know, play and there's experience. So they're, they're in front, especially their front seven. There's not a lot of new guys in there. If they're new guys, they're pretty talented. 
And then on the other side of the ball, you know, they obviously have a, they're, they're, they graduated a really, really good quarterback and a really good receiver last year, but they have a handful of guys coming back. So again, I think from an experience standpoint, that's, that comes into play when you're an eight and two team, you know, their only two losses were against two, you know, really strong teams as well. Very similar resume to what we have. I don't think with only three days preparation that you can really do a lot of new, 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 new. And at the same time, what does that say? You know, from our guy's standpoint, we've got here because of who we are. And you see us week in, week out. We're going to give teams new looks and different wrinkles. I mean, that's that's who we are. Um, but I do believe it's going to be the bread and butter of the things that you've done well through the 10 games for them and for us is what's going to either win or lose the game. Well, we've had three of these games on the road. You've won two of them. It's great to have one here at home. It is. It's been a long time coming, and for us, I mean, you know, we had the NSA playoff game, you know, a couple of years ago, and then you know we'll go back. I mean, the last time we had a bowl game was back in 2003 when we beat Norwich, which was one of our first bowls. So, um, yeah, being on the road uh, three years in a row, and and again, we don't mind the matchups and all that. It is going to be feel good to be playing on Boz, and and even for Utica, it's going to feel like a close game. I mean, they both of us have had to travel. You know they're they're an hour and a half away, so it's going to hopefully have a good crowd and a good showing, and and it's going to be two really good upstate New York teams um, competing on Saturday. Well, this has been a very fun, entertaining team to watch. Watch it's always fun to watch the young guys come along and see what the veterans can do, and it's been a lot of fun. So we're glad to have one more chance to see him and coach. It was great to have another chance to talk to you. Awesome, I appreciate all you do. All right, don't forget you can find this podcast wherever you get your podcasts, Apple or Google or Amazon. And go to the official website of HWS Athletics for all your athletics news. That's hwsathletics.com. Hobart, Utica, 1 o'clock Saturday, Boswell Field in the uh, bowl game, the Clayton Chapman Bowl game, uh, going for a 9-2 and two season. So until then, uh, have a great football week.